what we do here is go back, 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 back. Welcome, welcome to Hustle Sold Separately. We are a weekly podcast dedicated to all of you amazing human beings who have been following along on this incredible journey. Um, you know, we're at year six, I think, at this point, five or six. It's been incredible. And, uh, you know, all of you are creatives and entrepreneurs and artists and CEOs and innovators and hustlers and designers and um you know i would say that you guys are genuinely anti-status quo completely outside of the box thinkers or attempting <laughs> to break out of the box uh and you know often at times i would say you guys may be maybe misunderstood in society because you may want to do things unconventionally you are definitely in the right place uh, i get you we get you my guests definitely get you and, um, you know, we have really great conversations about what's happening in real time as we're building things. And no matter, uh, you know, for all my newer listeners, I always say this in general, that no matter where you're at in the journey, you're always learning something. And I've had people on here like in their first venture, their 50th venture, their second, third, fourth, or they're just testing something out or they're optimizing their health or they're optimizing their mindset um you know and they're just going for it and so you're not alone we're all really on the same journey we're just in different places of it right uh and for my new listeners you know i'm matt goddessman so it's nice to meet you if you want to uh, reach out to me as i tell everybody at matt goddessman on instagram at matt goddessman on instagram um, i answer each and every single text dm reply response it's like the last eight nine years it hasn't stopped i don't plan on stopping it I do see that it would be difficult if I were at a million followers, <laughs> but I would still attempt, you know, very Gary Vee, I think, in that way. But um, anywho, we've got another really, really great uh, episode today, and um, we are going to be focusing on focus and productivity and time tracking. And I'm going to just lay this out to you very succinctly because you guys know I've had a couple of even solo episodes talking about these things, but now we're taking it a little bit further. Time is your most valuable asset, regardless of what anybody else tells you, period, end of story. I'm sorry, that's just what it is. Um, you can't get more of it. it. You can't get any of it back. You can certainly try to manage it better, and I think that's one of the things that we're going to really be talking about here. Why is time so important? Because what you do with your time is how you will also have a relationship with yourself, your uh, life, freedom, things that you really would like to do in this world that matter. And you can also move things off that don't matter. Um, time is a very, I've had a very interesting relationship that started with that about three years ago for me when I started auditing my time on what it was I was doing every day for seven days. And I always tell people, try that as a first step and then get back to me. And what you will find is, yes, you do have more time. B, you waste a lot of it. And C, you could be managing it way better. Even as busy as you think you are, you could be managing it way better. And by the way, you'll find more time that you didn't think you had. So that conversation will change with all of your friends and in your, all of your complaints. And I mean that in the healthiest way. And the other thing too is that when you know what you're doing with your time, 
you can be more productive so you know exactly where you're exerting the right energy, which also leads to focus. You at least have more clarity as to what you would like to be doing within that time and how you will be exerting that energy. And that's what we're going to be talking about then. So um, we're, we're going to also be talking about a startup around that and building startups. And I've got two very uh, great guests, Will Goto and McGill Davis. They created Rise.io, Rise app, um, Rise.io, R-I-Z-E.io. I've been using this for about two months. And um, when I came across this through Product Hunt, um, instantly I was drawn to it because it's a productivity app. First of all, I think it's just because it's so beautifully designed. Um, and I'm a minimalist in a lot of ways, but also because um, I needed something simple to simplify what it is I'm doing every day and start really um, a radical ownership, radical accountability as to how I'm managing myself, how am I managing my day. So uh, when I saw this app, I started using it and I got really excited. And then Will reached out to me. Uh, well, Will was answering some of the questions as I had uh, when I was using the app. And then uh, they actually reach out, Will and McGill reach out to their clients and their customers and ask them how they're doing. And that already puts them like way steps ahead in any game, in any, because you guys already know how I feel about that. Um, and uh, so, you know, when you're closest to your customers and understanding who they are, you're not really concerned with everybody else. You're concerned with growing the meeting needs and demands of the people who you're serving in the first place. Um, that is startups, my friend. <laughs> and that's how you get to where you want to go. Meanwhile, a lot of other people are usually all like worried about like how I need to raise more funds. No, you need to raise more customers and have a great relationship with them. So uh, Will and McGill, uh, they met at a startup called Peer, got acquired by Twitter, which got acquired by Twitter. And then they ran a VC-backed company that raised over $3.1 for three years. And now they're working on Rise. And we're going to talk about their journeys individually as to how they got here. Um, and as I mentioned, it's an, it rises an intelligent time tracker that improves your focus and helps you build better work habits. Guys, thank you for being here. Yeah. Thank you for having us. Yeah. yeah thank you. Yeah. And thank you for allowing me to go on that rant. You guys have no idea how important <laughs> Well, Of course, you know how important <laughs> this is, but, um, you know, after so many years and seeing, uh, this is something that, that trips every person up, but more specifically, you know, entrepreneurs and, and, uh, people in performance type roles. I mean, really everywhere though. Time is is, is something that affects everybody. Um, my first question is always the same. It's the only one that's the same. And then we're going to go on like a rant on all these other things. But I would love for each of you to talk about just, you know, you can go as far back as you want, but your background, how did we get here? How did the two of you, what led up to the two of you meeting? And then um, how that relationship developed and then how, what caused you guys to want to create Rise and where we're at today, and then we're gonna, just going to go on the tear from there. And, uh, uh, you know, McGill, would you like to go first? Will, whichever one of you guys want to go first? Yeah, sure. I'll, I'll go first. Perfect. Um, so my story kind of starts off as, uh, it starts pretty much at college. I think I actually didn't go to school for computer science. I wasn't a programmer. And this was something that, really drastically affected my life. So I actually went to school for material science and I worked in the field as a researcher for about a year and a half. So when I was working in the field, there was about maybe one or two companies that could actually employ me. 
and one was in the middle of Pennsylvania and the other was like suburban Illinois. So I was like, I need to really think about what I want to do long-term that allow me to live the life that I want. And then this is probably resonates with a lot of your, a lot of your listeners because doing what you want to do as, as your profession is, is certainly something that, you know, is something that you want to do for the rest of your life. So I made the switch. I moved back with my parents for like a year and did freelance work, just hustled and grinded for a while and then found some contract work in Philadelphia, slowly built my portfolio and eventually found a full-time job in San Francisco for a tech company called One Kings Lane as a front-end engineer. So that's when my story really kind of started. I started really getting a lot of real work experience as a programmer. And once I was at One Kings Lane for about two and a half years, one of my friends who was working at this startup called Peer, where Miguel and I met, he 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 basically was like, "Hey, we're, I'm like at this really early stage startup. You learn a lot. Like the founder is the former CEO of Salesforce. Like the the COO is like the general counsel of Salesforce. So like these people who are like you know really well established in the startup industry. So I was like, yeah, it might be really worth going to this early stage startup to make connections, learn how the startup works." and how, you know, starting a business works. So um, that's kind of where McGill, that's my story where I came to the point where I met McGill. And I think it might be worth McGill kind of just going through his background to get to that point as well. Uh, Yeah, perfect. I, um, yeah, I think that that's because, because from there, I think our stories are pretty, pretty overlapped. It's the uh, same story. From from Peter going on. So, (laughs) Um, and uh, before that, I guess I'll, I'll start at college as well. I went to uh, I went to Tufts University in Boston, and I actually went there originally to study diplo- uh, international relations. Like I thought, I wanted to go into diplomacy, uh, you know, work in, in the international sphere. Um, and uh, about halfway, couple years into schooling, I took a computer science course just as a math credit, uh, and I just fell in love with the topic. Um, I ended up switching majors to computer science. And then actually I ended up dropping out uh, with about it, you know, little less than a year left actually to, to work on my first startup, which was called Guide Hire. Um, it was sort of an Airbnb experiences, but just for outdoor guides. Um, didn't really like, we, it didn't work out, but it was one of these uh, incredible experiences where you just learn so much, learn so much primarily through making mistakes. So I think I made my co-founder and I, my, my co-founder and I from, uh, from guide hires is still a good friend of mine, James. And we just laugh about, uh, you know, all the mistakes we made and all the learnings we had from that experience. Um, but, uh, you know, that guide hire, despite not working out was sort of what led me to peer. Um, I started applying to jobs at startups. Uh, you know, I, I hadn't finished my degree at that point. So, I, um, I couldn't go to a lot of these traditional tech companies. So I said, I want, I want to, I like working in a startup, but I felt I, I had been the only technical, uh, co-founder at guide hire. So I really wanted to join a team because I felt like my learning was sort of, you know, uh, leveling off a little bit. And I wanted to work with more senior engineers, just other smart people that I could kind of learn best practices from. Uh, and that is what led me to the peer team. I, I mean, uh, before I think Will had just joined and I, I met him during my interviews and met the other, uh, our, the fellow engineers on the team and just was blown away by uh, how talented and smart uh, and, and just genuinely friendly people. Uh, 
and uh, my uh, my manager from from Pierre, which was uh, this guy Ryan, who also hired Will, he was like, you know, we had a, a candidates which mu- with much better backgrounds than yours, but we were just blown away that you were able to build guide hire all alone, like technically all alone. Mm-hmm. And so um, that I felt like that was important that I, you know, that experience was really important to to my career development and opening up that opportunity up here. Um, and then yeah, from there, I guess I'll let you know, maybe will you can pick it up again, but, um, yeah, sure. Yeah. We had a great time. Uh, learned a lot at Pierre and <laughs> let, led us to further opportunities down the road. Yeah. And so once Miguel joined Pierre, uh, we really hit it off because we actually both speak Brazilian Portuguese. So that was like a fun fact that we'd like to tell a lot of people, we both speak Brazilian Portuguese and they're like, what? That makes no sense. <laughs> So I'm actually Brazilian, and uh, my uh, Miguel's was your stepdad is your yep. is, is Brazilian as well. Mm. Yeah, yeah. And, and he's like li- you like lived in Brazil for like quite a little bit too. So we yeah. like started speaking Portuguese. Everyone was just like turn their heads. They're like, what? What's going on? <laughs> that's awesome. <laughs> yeah, I think that's that was kind of like the the sort of start of our working relationship. <laughs> I think. Yep. Um, so we just like worked together at Pier, kind of like any any typical startup coworkers would. But when we got acquired by Twitter, everything kind of happened very quickly. Uh, the the peer product shut down very quickly mm. and it, it was just abrupt, right? We had one big customer in our pipeline that was gonna that we were gonna sell to. And what we built was actually pretty interesting. At the time it was like this uh, continuous feedback tool that didn't exist at the time. Now there's plenty of them. But when we were at tw- when we were at Twitter, we got lunch all the time. We ate at this like uh, f- this uh, Vietnamese restaurant called Turtle Tower that we really love in San Francisco. So we would get lunch there almost maybe twice, three times a week. Yeah. And we just talk about our <laughs> at experience at Pier and what kind of like a missed opportunity it could have been to continue on that path. So we just on our free time started building something kind of similar that was maybe a, not exactly the same. It was pretty adjacent to, to the tool, but it had a very similar mechanic around gathering information for a team. So we worked on it for, I don't know, maybe four months, I think, four months while we were working full-time at Twitter. And once we had something that was like an MVP, we went to um, one of the, the, the COO of Peer and talk to him about it and asked him what his ideas were. And eventually he was like, yeah, I'm going to invest in you guys. Uh, I'll put in 50 K. And so at that point we're like, holy crap, you know, this is pretty awesome. And then McGill's friend, he worked at Twitter. He knew he was an LP in this uh, VC firm called a four capital. He introduced, introduced us to them. And then before we knew it, we had like 500 K like committed to our idea for building this company. So we pretty much were like, this is a no brainer. We should just do it. We'll learn a lot, um, even if it's something that, you know, it's going to be really, really challenging. We've never done this before. It's definitely worth the learning experience. Yeah, I mean, just to comment on that, I think like one of the things we didn't realize at the time, we were just sort of building this product, HumbleDot, which was what became the company. Uh, and we, we were just looping in anyone we could find. I think our first customer, I actually met her. We were bike. I was biking into work and 
she would she asked me on the bike into work where i'd gotten my backpack we started chatting and she said she was a manager and i was like hey we're building this product would you be willing to try using this and she actually was she became our first customer and so we didn't we sort of just stumbled into initially this like this product this group of users that really loved what we were building and were really engaged um without realizing i think uh, you know in hindsight not like how sort of rare that is and so we went when we went out to pitch uh, this uh, a four. We we didn't have a lot of prep at the time compared to you know the experiences down the road, but uh, we sort of unknowingly had a, a really great uh, like opportunity. I think uh, without much, uh, n- without as much uh, like what's the word, uh, you know, planning. I would say as, as we did down the road. You know, it was yeah. just more passionately building a product that we wanted to see exist. Um, so it's very natural. Yeah. Well, yeah. Okay. Uh, well, r- real quick, before, and then, cause I know you're going to start getting into the, the rise part, mm-hmm. but like you guys bring up so many good points about, um, well, uh, first of all, I relate to you, McGill. I, I did the international studies as well. And then they're like, pick an area. And I was like, I, I want to do digital <laughs> and digital what? And so I chose digital yeah. in the music industry. So it was a very different route, but I wanted front end for me. It was like, but digital and, you know, as yeah. an emerging thing going back into the 2000s. So it was like really weird for them. They're like digital. Um, yeah. So I feel you. And then, uh, awesome. but I, I, I'll, but I, I love how you guys, um, you know, uh, how you guys met and then um, how you just stayed very flexible as change was happening. And I think that that's probably one of the most important things is that like, you know, you guys just, kind of went with the flow of it and you were always constantly learning and then you even got into this like okay well let's try building this we don't really know you know but we'll see and then I feel like when you stay in that humility and humbleness about it 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 takes off this pressure that the world sometimes puts on startups and businesses and all this other stuff when really it's as simple as I want to try a few things let's see if it works let's get some feedback and then once we start getting feedback, we kind of have our answers. Now we know a next step. And so I love this simplicity because that's that's actually where all of the success actually usually happens. So I just want to give you guys a lot of credit for, for staying in that kind of mode of operation when the rest of the world can get very hyped up over ideas and things like that, you know? Yeah, for sure. In, in retrospect, that was really a good attitude that we had going in because very. it kind of helped us really just listen to the people that we were building for mm-hmm. um, initially. So I think I think a lot of people in who are trying to fundraise now have a very particular vision and very particular um, idea for how their company is going to be pretty much the entire way. And what's interesting is that a lot of pre-seed funder, like VC, VC investors, pre-seed VC investors, they primarily look at your team as as whether or not they'll invest in in your company and not your sort of entire vision because i think a lot of the times execution beats the planning right and i think that's fairly common finding good people and and you saw that miguel you also saw that when uh you were getting um when they you were getting hired by pierre and they were talking about guide hire Right. So I was just looking at a couple of notes, like, cause it was really interesting listening to you guys talk about it. I mean, they were like, Hey, there's other qualified people, but 
they liked your character and they liked that you built that. So there was like initiative, there was execution, there was like experience that came out of doing that. And so they, it, it becomes a no brainer. And yeah, cause we know like how many times is something going to pivot? I need the people who can adapt the most. And at the same time are, um, you know, it's just good character, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you know, sure. that can handle life. So when did the idea for Rise begin? How do we get there? Yeah, you, you, Miguel, you want to take that one? <laughs> yeah, sure. <laughs> um, so I guess it, I mean, it really starts with the beginning of 2020 um, and and the sort of winding down of HumbleDot. So HumbleDot, we, we ended up raising a seed round mm -hmm. of about 2.6 million. We, our first year was, you know, uh, pretty successful. But once we raised that seed round, our goal was really to scale revenue and scale users. Mm -hmm. And it was something that we just struggled with for, uh, you know, for basically all of 2019. And at the beginning of 2020, Will and I were sort of projecting out the, the you know, our finances, looking at the, the upcoming year. And we, we had to make a, a tough decision um, and really just, you know, deal with reality at that point that we weren't going to hit the metric, the goals that we needed in order to raise the next round, raise that series A. Um, and so at that point, we, uh, you know, we, we unfortunately had to like let everybody go. Um, but the timing actually worked out really well in hindsight, uh, because we were able to help pretty much everyone on the team find new roles, mm -hmm. a lot of them at other portfolio companies. And this was in February. So right before COVID hit in March, and everything shut down. So that thankfully worked out for the most part. Uh, and what happened if you don't mind me interrupt, what happened yeah. that that you guys like, it wasn't scaling the way you guys wanted to what was going on? Yeah, so <laughs> if you yeah, don't mind me asking. Yeah, yeah. This is probably the biggest challenge most startups have and probably where most startups fail. It's kind of like the gold rush, right? You gotta get a little bit lucky, even if your methods are good. So we we built HumbleDot with just a few set of people in mind who were kind of really passionate to help us out in the beginning. But we actually didn't do the sort of market work up front to determine what is the one consistent profile customer and their problem that they're solving to to pay for the product. Mm -hmm. So we had a lot of trouble with our messaging, our value props. We tried all sorts of methods to go to market. We tried paid ads, social, all this other stuff. And no one growth channel really took off. And we literally tried everything. So yeah. <laughs> after a year of just nothing sticking, we were like, okay, Either the the product that we built that was specifically aimed towards manager to manage their teams wasn't catching because the go to the fundamental go to market to target the manager to sell this product wasn't correct. Mm -hmm. So at that point we were like, do we just build a new product or do we change it so we do top down sales for enterprises? You know, and none of the options really felt really appealing to us at the time. So. We were just like, let's just shut it down and just start something completely new and just start with this person, like ideal customer profile mindset, this problem mindset, and build for that at the beginning as opposed to building something from scratch and then trying to find a customer for it. Because, you know, Miguel and I are engineers or product people. That was the first inclination, our first thing. It was like, let's try, let's try building something and see if some, some, someone's going to pay for it. And I think that's the downside of that attitude too, right? Because if you just try something out without having a particular problem or market or ideal customer profile in mind, 
you end up building something that might not have a market. Your, so. your, your world and my worlds need each other. Cause yeah. I like the first thing for me is always figuring out what the people need and knowing what they need, being able to provide that to them and working with product developers. That's the part I love. Cause it's like, Hey, here's the data. <laughs> like I know this is needed. Here's all the information. Cause I love it, you know? And, and, but then honoring the product developers as a, um, can you simplify it and make this beautiful, you know, thing this widget that actually you know means stuff so i i but i had to learn that too because you know mm -hmm. <laughs> it's because otherwise yeah. if you you know um you tried to you know if if we ignore the you know not ignore but like forget to ask them first we can try a million different things and that that help us out and then you know that kind of uh, goes in a different direction so i i totally get that and i also thank you for sharing that because for anybody listening i think it's such a it's such a key valuable lesson like often at times we want to solve things for ourselves and there's a very good chance there's a lot of us that exist as an avatar as a customer profile for the thing that we're solving for ourselves but sometimes it's not sometimes there may not be enough people and and so I, it's really cool that you guys did that because it obviously led to how you guys are handling rise but i'll let you get into that because i've noticed how you guys like are all about customers with rise yeah i think the you know lear learning from your past mistakes learning where you failed is so important right. in in life uh, but like especially in the, in the startup journey and um that whole experience with Humboldt has colored how we've approached Rise and how we're building Rise. Um, and, and that's really where Rise came out of. So, you know, as after we shut down Humboldt, we were looking for these different ideas. We, we tried a, a bunch of different ideas. Uh, we, you know, taught, we explored them, uh, talked to a bunch of people. I think we tried a security startup. We looked into Rise with one option. We looked into sort of building a new Humboldt. Uh, that, that was we were calling async and we actually launched this product mm -hmm. um, but one of the things we had done earlier in the fall was we built a wait list for rise just a landing page and a wait list and we ran a few ads and the conversions were amazing mm -hmm. uh, and the you know we we were really excited about this opportunity uh, we ended up deciding to put it on hold and try and build this other product async for a bit <laughs> and so we actually released async in june of last year and, you know, one day while we're building async, we're getting emails from people on the wait list for rise. Like, Hey, when's this coming out? Like, we're so excited about this. What's the status yes. of this? And, uh, I think in June, uh, I forget which one of us said it, but I was like, I think it was, yeah, I forget which one we're like, man, I just want to build rise. Like I, I, we can't, we couldn't stop thinking about rise. And there was, we felt like there was so much excitement there. Um, but we we also felt that we weren't sure if rise was going to be a venture scalable company and so we we felt like you know if we're going to do rise we want to build it the right way uh in that if it we want to build it from scratch and and try and bootstrap it initially and and if it if it does become venture scale then we can sort of we'll have that optionality but if it's not we want we want to be able to build this as a product and a business uh you know bootstrapped and uh and non-venture scalable um, and we and we've just felt like we 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 didn't know at that point. Um, so we we returned the remaining uh, remaining investment money that we had to our existing investors um, and shut down the humble dot entity entirely uh, and then started working on rise full time. I, I think we took like 
a month off last summer. We're like, let's just... <laughs> so actually, it took us like yeah. two months to like legally sell like the assets that we worked on for Rise while we were at our previous invested company to our new one. So like we yeah. had to like make sure like everything was buttoned up legally that like our investors couldn't come back if we did become big they could like couldn't mm-hmm. claim a part of the company, um, but yeah we we took a couple months just dealing with that and then we at the time we couldn't work on anything until like the whole entity was shut down, Smart. so we went through the entire process just like aching to work on Rise and yeah. the minute we had the green light we just started cranking on product and that was around I think September or October of last year mm. so. So, so smart, by the way, those extra details, making sure everything is off the table, you know, um, and all clean and just in your guys' complete ownership, 100%. hundred <laughs> percent. It's yeah. very, very, and it's just, it's just good because it's, it's like buttoning it up and closing things off and not leaving any room for any kind of error in your ownership and your creativity yeah. and the things that you're doing. Um, uh, also, inadvertently, isn't it interesting how your some of the mistakes you guys made in the past really led to marketing? Um, marketing is not as um, I mean, yeah, I know you can get into neuro and in the science and the data and all that stuff, but um, it's really not as salesy and gimmicky as it you know as people make it out to be when it's actually just done out of like this. You guys want this? Uh, we'll put up a wait list and see. And then just getting feedback. And then they're like, hey, when are you going to launch that? I'd be like, uh, we might work on that. Hey, when are you going to come out with this? I find it all the time when people ask me for certain things and I put it off and it's on me. I'm like, wow. I'm like, yeah, I'm fighting this thing over here. <laughs> and these people just say, can we have this? And you're like, yeah. Yeah. Finally, you start, you stop fighting. Why rise? Why, why productivity and going that route? It's a huge, huge issue. And I, interestingly enough, I mean, I want to get both of your take on this, um, but also interestingly enough, you know, Will, something you said way back at the beginning about, I mean, doesn't everybody kind of want to do what they love to do and be able to do that in this lifetime? And we know that in being able to do that, there is sort of a, a discipline, you know, discipline creates freedom, right? So there's this kind of relationship where you have to kind of have an understanding of yourself and your time and what you're doing with it to be able to have that freedom. Right. So I'd love to know like what, why rise was kind of one of your, your, your guys' babies and and why productivity, where did that come from? Yeah, I think productivity for us in general has always been top of mind, Mm -hmm. especially since, you know, the peer days, we want to be working as fast as possible, as productive as possible, having the best output, but also delivering high quality of work, right? When you're working at a startup, pretty much every second counts until you get to either profitability or the goals that you want yes. uh, to, to, to hit for the startup. And I think in general, McGill and I are both pretty analytical when it comes to ourselves and our lifestyles. So if we, we both have this sort of fundamental value of constant, wanting to constantly improve ourselves, constantly be better, constantly improving our skills. So I think that's something that just fundamentally is a, a a drive that we have that we want to keep doing. So I think at one point, whenever we were coming up with ideas, after we shut down HumbleDot, we were really thinking about productivity because that's something that was just core to what we did. You know, that's, that was just us. So we started with just basic value props of your understanding, you know, where you spend your time 
and visualizing your work because that's the first thing you need to know before you can make any sort of improvement, right? Um, <clears throat> I think, uh, I don't know who says this, but it's the sort of, you can't improve what you don't measure. Yes. Yeah. So I think really at the end of the day, we, we kind of focused more on software engineers in the beginning and thinking about what we could build for them. And again, it's starting this sort of market ideal customer profile segment, right? We started looking at software engineers, especially junior ones, and just kind of talked, started having these really, really in-depth conversations around what the problems were, what they wanted to know, what they wanted to do. And a lot of the time getting promoted came up a lot and being better, being better software engineer, being more productive. So we, we took that and really dove into it and figure out why these people wanted to be more productive, what, what they could do as software engineers to be more productive. And one of the things that really came up in my experience was to track what you do. And either that's the time that you spend on stuff or things that you accomplish. Because if you don't have that track record, you're not going to be able to make a case for your promotion or even the, your case for getting a new job at another company. So from there, we built the website, the waitlist, with those value props in mind. And we would say, we would do the tracking for you, right, with this app that didn't exist at the time. And you know, it blew up. People were like, this sounds amazing. We want this, right? And then eventually, like, we, we figured out that it wasn't just software engineers that had this problem. It was just a lot of people, right? <laughs> so, um, yeah, it kind of really took off from there. And that, at that point, like McGill was saying earlier, we had a bunch of people just email us here and there saying, Hey, when is this going to come out? Like, I'm so excited. And we were just, it was just a no brainer. Yeah. You know, and I, um, I didn't email then, but as soon as I saw it, I emailed and I was like, and I was talking with you while I was on the app. And I mean, I was just, I was, I'm one of those people. Like I saw it on uh product hunts and I'm like, Ooh, and you're right. There are so many people that need this because product productivity in a very noisy world in a very I mean, I get it. I'm I'm all over social media, but as a creator, not necessarily as a consumer. So I, I actually monitor and manage how much social media I do. You should build that into the phone app. Um, and then, <laughs> just throwing that out there. Uh, but um, but in a in a world where focus um, is, is very hazy at times. We have never had more inputs than ever before, um, bombarding us from so many places and, um, where, you know, at the same time we want to, we have all these amazing tools at our disposal to create like we've never been able to create before. So you have two very diametrically opposing concepts. You have a lot of noise and distraction and you have the most abundant tools in the world. And there you guys are right in the middle be like, let's, let's clean up. Let's be like Marie Kondo of your, of your time. <laughs> let's yeah. start cleaning up all your, you know, what, yeah. what you're doing. So it's a huge issue. It's a very big issue. Uh, yeah, I mean, uh, that's, I think that's really the source of, uh, like the problem that, that with rise that we're tackling is that there are, there's, you know, 
there's a great book actually called Deep Work by Cal Newport. Yes. Uh, yeah. I have I have the, the quote up that you guys put on there as well too. Keep keep going. Yeah, I mean, it's he everything that he writes about uh, is really on point, and it really relates to what you know what our mission is at at Rise. But you know, the main concept there is it's it's harder and harder to focus in today's world, yes. and especially if you're an knowledge worker, if you're a creator. Uh, you are you're you're in a constant struggle to mm-hmm. to find time to get this focus or deep work time done, because you know we have the a mobile phone which is incredibly powerful, mm-hmm. like all these great apps like you said, but a, a lot of them are addicting and distracting, mm-hmm. and they're built they're, they're designed that way. Like we worked at Twitter, you know that's a, a great example of a tool that I love, but I, you really it's it's a struggle to not spend too much time on there, Instagram and TikTok. Um, and so, you know, from a personal standpoint, you're, you're struggling against these products that are built to consume. They, they make money off the more you engage and consume content there. Uh, and then there's also sort of uh, an, another main trend in the way that where, you know, workplaces are changing too, in that you have this consumerization of your work tools. So a tool like Slack, right, is built to be engaging as well right? It's built to get your attention in the same way. They picked the, the same tricks that social media you know, products did. Um, and so they're, they're great. They're easy to use. Collaboration has never been easier. But I think the scales have flipped in that workplaces are prioritizing communication and collaboration over focus time. And this is not to say that collaboration and communication are not important. They're incredibly important. But there is a balance to be struck there. And we've swung too far in the other direction. Uh, and so there's like a struggle for focus and which is, which is productivity. Um, and, and rise is sort of our, our goal is to help balance that playing field and, and open up that time for people to get more of that deep work done. I am your perfect avatar. <laughs> Just listen, I, cause co- communication collaboration. I was thinking while you were talking about, I, I was going to bring up Slack because um, like, for example, with my growth marketing agency, my team is all over the world and we are on it and we all communicate via Slack. We use Asana for the project management um, and maybe occasionally WhatsApp, right? And then, and then we have all of our tools for delivering you know, our, our results and whatnot. Um, and because of our efficiency, more people want to come in and they're like, hey, we, we wanna use you, you know, we wanna engage with you and, and this. And I'm finding that, you know, there's a balance because I don't want to throw off like there's the communication part, but then I don't want to throw off the efficiency and productivity and everything we do has to be very systematic. But then in my own world, I'm, I'm the one who got, uh, who became the, uh, the gap, (laughs) I'm the one who or the block and the, because you know, there's certain aspects that when you're dealing with people, um, that can be very distracting. And so it was very interesting to put myself under the microscope and be like, oh, yeah, like I can see how you've got the communication side of things, but that can really take up a lot of time. And then but then you've also got these things over here that you have to do that. That can also take a lot of time. How do you have that true balance? You know, um, it's a and and the quote that you guys put on your website um, from Cal Newport, the ability to perform deep work is becoming increasingly rare at exactly the same time as it is becoming increasingly valuable in our economy. As a consequence, the few who cultivate this skill and then make it the core of their working life will thrive. Amen. <laughs> so, right. Um, I mean, we're at this, this juncture where, um, 
because we can be more efficient and you also brought up creators, right? Creatives, um, the demand for that, for, for engineers, creatives, videographers, um, you know, creative agency, like everything digital is going through the roof. And so there's this ironic, like, oh, after all these years, you now see how, why these people are kind of like, I would say like, you know, the future belongs to the creators, but now there's this weird new responsibility of like, I better manage my time. Well, that's like the single most important feature because, um, we'll deliver and then more will want it and more will want it. They're like a drug. They treat us like a drug, <laughs> you know, until we're abused. So, um, so how is that like, so in, in regards to, uh, it's funny, a message from Slack just came right in there, right? As we're talking, so it makes perfect if you hear that. Um, so how has it been since you started, you guys are now, you know, now you're, you're up and running, you're what, from September to now, um, how's it been going and what have you been learning in the process now of building this and from the customers? Yeah, every day is something new, right? We, we initially started again with, with software engineers, right? We thought that they would be our target market because (laughs) they're the ones who responded the most to the, the wait list and stuff. So when we first started, it turned out that it wasn't particularly a demographic that was really interested in the tool. It was something that we call a psychographic, which Mm -hmm. is basically a type of profile where they might not have the same job, but they essentially have the same sort of working environment. Mm. And for us, it wasn't just an engineer. It was someone who is responsible for a ton of things in their job and does a bunch of different things in their role. So an example would be an engineer who's a tech lead who has to manage the junior engineers, but also be a liaison between product and the team, for example. And they have a bunch of meetings and they have a bunch of individual contributor work that they have to manage as well. And really they're kind of juggling these two responsibilities, but don't really understand how much the time they're putting in between each of them. And understanding that is really important for these roles because if you're spending too much time on things that don't matter, that's going to affect how you perform, how others perceive you at the workplace, how your company functions, how your company performs. So we learned, I think that was probably the biggest learning that we had initially when we first started using or first started selling the product and talking to our customers. We actually do this thing where every person signs up, we send like an automated email and saying, hey, we just saw you signed up. We'd like love to talk to you and learn more about your situation, do a user interview. And that was probably the, the best thing that we did to get our business off the ground. And so simple. And I, you know, that those little touches mean everything to a client, you know, that they just don't feel like they're just a number and that they're like, oh, wow, like, you know, thank you for, you know, caring. You're like, absolutely. Like, I, I want to learn from you as much as I want to provide a service to you. Yeah, most definitely. And then from there, um, I know, Miguel, you want to jump in in terms of like how we expand the product? Yeah. Um, from I guess, I mean, the first six months, like, like, uh, what was like, what was talking about was really just like building and iterating and learning and talking to people as much as possible. Um, and the product definitely shifted. I mean, I think speaking to your customers again is so, and your users are so, so important. Um, again, cause when we first started, we were both time tracking and sort of, 
uh building a track record and that's still something that we we want to get to long term but one of the things we found learning from our customers was that visualizing their time was the top by far the top value prop that people wanted to see so that helped guide us and to build those you know the most impactful uh, the most impactful features uh in the product and you know and then uh, in February, we we sort of soft launched um, in that we opened up. We didn't you know tell anybody, but we opened up the website for self serve signups, and we started. We ran a few ads just to see get a baseline of conversion. Um, you know we're bootstrapping, so our budget is pretty limited right now. But uh, we invested a little bit in in the in those ads, and I think at that point we got our first paying customers. And it was only you know I think February we had like for very like very small amount right uh but um we knew okay there's someone who will pay for this um and we hyper focused on those customers and try to understand what what's their profile what's their psychographic what's their demographic what what are they getting out of rise right well that's that's having them pay versus all the other people who signed up and didn't um and we just continued to iterate and double down on that uh until may when we when we officially launched about a month ago um and yeah i mean it, it we we actually got uh number one on product hunt for the day which was uh a huge honor for us uh and and i think something we're still both proud of um because yeah. i think we you know we we've laughed about the fact that we struggled on the growth side in particular for so long especially with humble dot and you know, to have a launch go so well, uh, it, it just, it just was very gratifying after, uh, struggling on that front for, for a long time. And, um, I think it shows that we, we learned from, from some of the mistakes we made in the past and yeah. Uh, yeah and now we're here today, about a month what's, later. What's really funny is you can actually see our past product launches for a different, our previous company. <laughs> the first one was like a hundred upvotes, like position, like 30, the one after yeah. that was like a feature and it was like position six or seven and then rise is like number one. So you can actually see the progress in like the launches that we had over time, which is really interesting. It's, and I think, oh, go oh good. No, go ahead. Go ahead. I was gonna say to touch on what Miguel was talking about earlier in terms of paying customers. I think that was also a really key moment for us because we were, we had up until that time, we had people using the product for free mm -hmm. and to get someone to pay for your product is is completely different from from whether or not they would say they would use the product or even their usage on the product. Yeah. Right? <laughs> so so exactly, yeah. So once we had people uh, sign up that were completely random from ads that we didn't know that ended up paying for the product, those suddenly became the people that we wanted to focus on. And their feedback actually meant the most because they're the ones who are actually putting in money to essentially keep the product alive and and they think it's actually worth that amount of money. So there's a lot of people that were using the product that they got maybe auxiliary value out of it and probably wouldn't pay, but they would never tell us that, or they would say that they would probably pay, but when it pushed came to shove, they probably wouldn't. But their suggestions and their feedback, you should probably take with a grain of salt because yes. they're not the ones who are really willing to, you know, whip their wallet out and pay for the product. So once we started getting real actual paying customers, those are the ones that we shifted our focus to and then really started listening to. I'm yeah. I, I mean, I'll just add to that. Like, I think 
at a, at a startup, especially the earlier you are, the, the one of the biggest challenges, if not the if not the biggest challenge, is prioritization. And because because you're so early, right? You're building this thing. It could be anything, which which is it's just you know it's exciting, but it makes it hard to pick a path. And you know when you're when you have when you're getting a lot of feedback from free users. You're getting a lot of like a lot of different inputs, right? And you don't know how to prioritize those because you can't rank them. But right when they become paying customers, you know, it's very rare, I'd say, that you build a product that multiple target personas are going to be that will cover two use cases well enough that people will pay for it, right? And so once you start getting paying customers, you re it really helps you focus. And we felt that, you know, I think a lot, and I think. You know, since we've been growing since the launch and getting more and more and more paid customers, it's actually it's actually helped solidify exactly our understanding of who our target customer and then everything builds from there and our target you know problem and what features we need to prioritize right and and what the brand should be like and what our tone should be like because we we know all this information and I think you know going back to learning from your past mistakes, this was a major mistake we made with Humbledot, which we we launched. A free product, and we 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 were growing like crazy. But what we didn't realize in hindsight was that we were kind of growing in a bunch of different directions. Mm -hmm. We had five customer profiles that were using Humbledot in five ways that because it was okay, right? So we sort of built a product that a lot of people sort of liked, rather than a product that a small group of people absolutely loved and needed. Um, and I think with Rise, it's it's been a completely different approach. Um, and I think that's that's much more important, you know, at an early stage. Yeah, I don't plan on stopping using it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> really honest. <That's> <laughs> I have it open every day. I love the uh, yeah. although I, I took off the pause tracking on the weekends. Well, because I'm curious on well, Saturdays, I always take days off on Saturdays, always and half a Sunday or I'm getting to a full Sunday sort of. Um, but it's it's cool to use just even in like, what am I doing when I'm not working? That's also creative for me or that's like you know um where i'm you know how am i using it in a multitude of, like what am i doing productive productivity wise even when i'm not working so that's how far if you if you need yeah. that it's not like you need that data but it's so that's what's fascinating for me is like when i'm having moments of inspiration and i'm really creating or i'm writing because i write a lot like i like tracking that online so um very very cool how you guys are how you guys are doing this and it's cool that you're just constantly iterating and, and and you made a really good point it's like when you have five different avatars it can be a little um messy when you start to think about well these people need these features and these people need these things or this is their focus and this is their focus and this is their focus and it, it, it does it's like yeah where do you where do you go where does the prioritization go um so i love that and um you know, so anybody listening, by the way, everybody listening right now, whether you're watching this video, or you're listening to on Apple or Spotify or whatever, just go to rise.io, rise.io. -E just look at the user interface. I, here, I'm doing marketing for you guys right now. I want like, <laughs> it's so important. It's just so, so important. Maybe just because it's just, it's a passion thing for me because of like, again, because of time. Um, but I want everybody to just go, just go look at what we're talking about. And then that, so that alone was what drew me in. I'm like, oh, I'm bringing this to a point, which is because your UI UX, so anybody listening that is not familiar, but they should, I'm sure maybe uh, user experience, user interface, you know, how like Apple, how it's very easy to, to look at, right? And understand. 
with like with rise um i think most of us want to solve a lot of our you know issues our our challenges what does come up a lot of times is when solving is going to take even more time and you see software that does this. QuickBooks is a perfect example. <laughs> the, the, mm -hmm. the desktop software, not the online, they've perfected, but they, they did that so you can go online and not the desktop software anymore. You know, a lot of these like bookkeeping softwares, whatever that are desktop, like there were just, there were so many things and you're like, wow, like you're not really simplifying. In fact, you're making it even more difficult for me. Yeah. And that becomes a barrier for people wanting to solve the, the things. And so I, I like that you guys kind of went with this approach of like, let us make it easy to understand what you're doing so you can more easily solve your productivity and focus and time issue. And that's huge. That's why I wanted, that's, that's why I told Will, uh, Miguel, I was like, Will, you guys, you guys should come on the podcast and talk about this stuff. And, and to just to let my audience know, like, please go, go, like, just do it. Just sign up, like, because it's a big ongoing issue with a lot of people. So, um, but the fact is that that UI UX, the way you guys approached it is so key. Yeah, I think that's what we kind of nailed with Rise. And I think that's the biggest challenge with productivity tools and time management tools today is that when time management becomes something that you want to do and tracking your productivity becomes something you want to do, that cognitively actually has to become the priority because you have to remember to track your time if it's manual. You have to remember to start your Pomodoro timer if you're using Pomodoro. You have to remember to log stuff. Yes. And if you don't remember that stuff, it's it's everything that you've done up until that point is kind of like moot, right? Yeah. And I think that's that's the challenge. If when you have to prioritize these tools and how you work over your actual work, I think that's when it becomes a problem. It becomes really difficult to adopt that that software. So with rise we knew this going in and saying like people aren't going to use this if you have to manually turn on a timer if you have to categorize too many things and start from scratch and manage your data right so we did as much as possible to automatically track your time have settings where if you're away from the computer it knows you're taking a break or if you're uh, if you're using your computer after a certain hour of the day, that it's personal time, not work. And these are all things that, you know, came from our customers. You know, these are all the, the feedback that we had from people that were using the product and paying for it. So I think, I think that was this sort of maybe an innovation, if you want to call it that, that really led Rise to be something unique in, in this space. Mm. And so since your inception, how, uh, you know, what's the growth been like? Um, and it's okay if it's not any crazy numbers or anything like that. But I mean, you're seeing some, some, some decent growth and, and like, how's it going so far? Yeah, in general, we don't like to give numbers out. Um, totally understandable. <laughs> yeah, we like to keep those things internal. But Absolutely. to give you an idea, our, our launch on Product Hunt, we had, I think, on that day, a thousand signups. And then... For the amount that we spend in software and all the other sort of expenses, those are basically now covered from our customers. And I think the next sort of milestone that we're looking for is to basically make enough revenue to cover essentially what our salaries were as software engineers. That's kind of like our next mm -hmm. goal. But you know, we were getting paid crazy salaries as software engineers, so it's like a pretty, pretty, pretty big goal. 
but uh, we're Maybe. we're somewhere between between like yeah that number and and our and our salaries basically. Yeah, just if I can pay rent, uh, that'll be that'll be enough. <laughs> I think that's the next target. But but I think we did we did just hit a target that was really important to us, which was can we can we get break even for everything in the business except our salaries? And so you know we we've hit that, which I think is a really important step when you're bootstrapping. So the, the business is not costing us anymore, other than, of course, the opportunity cost of not having a salary of a job elsewhere. Um, but yeah, so now that next that next point is, uh, can we can we keep the lights on, I guess, um, from from rise? You, you will. I'm literally I'm, I'm, I was while you were talking, I was literally putting on my stories uh, problem with productivity and don't want to have a million tools. Try these guys rise.io. I love these guys so much that I had to invite them on the show. Thank me later seriously thank me later <laughs> run, run to this app i just i you know um i and i love your guys attitude about it like hey as long as we can cover things and um and and that's really i mean that's startups that's that's how it works it's sort of like um can i cover and not compromise doing the right thing not trying to grow so crazy fast so um because i think everybody has this idea of like i want to grow so fast i'm like are you really ready to to handle like a thousand two thousand ten thousand customers like yeah, yeah, yeah. i'm like really <laughs> let's talk fulfillment let's talk returns let's talk like customer service and like who's handling the phones all day i mean i think people they want this end success so bad but you're like yeah but i think you if you really enjoy the process of like let me just lay this brick right in front of me at this stage of, of this wall that I'm building and we'll then we'll figure that out what to do next. And that's exactly what you guys are doing. So, you know, uh, so incredible. Uh, you know, I would love to get you guys take on because you're obviously onto something. Have have has VCs approached you or have people try to approach you? And what's your what's your take now that you've seen how I call VCs bosses. <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not saying I don't like VCs because I do. Like I have a few friends that are VC money. Like I get it, but they're different too. They 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 they're not just money. They're also like they like to get in and help in where they feel the most you know fit to help, not you know get in the way. But a lot of times you know, especially coming from a Silicon Valley or, or even you know uh, New York, it's like they you know we'll give you the money. We want returns now. <laughs> yeah. You know, it takes away from the whole expectations, but. How's it been? What, what, any anything like that coming up at all? People of interest? There, so I, I will say, like from HumbleDot, we have a, an amazing relationship with all our investors from HumbleDot, and we stay in connection with them. Um, like our Leo Polovets, who is our the partner that we worked with at Susa, he shared our product hunt launch for Rise. So, like they've been so supportive and so understanding through this whole process. We have like only positive things to say about them. Mm -hmm. And we've That's had a couple of conversations with some of them about, you know, if we, if we're interested in, in going this VC route, or if we feel like rise could match that we should, we should reach out. Um, but I think, you know, I think we're still pretty committed to bootstrapping right now because I, I you know, I think the, we would consider VC money again, if we felt like money was the only thing holding us back from growth. Right. Um, and I don't know if, if we're there yet. I don't know yeah. if you want to add anything to that. Well, yeah, I think, I think VCs get a bad rap. Like they, <laughs> that's fair. That's very fair. Everyone's like, oh man, like I don't want anyone stealing my company. Like I don't want anyone telling me what to do as the CEO. You, 
you basically control your company mm-hmm. in the early stages if you, if your VCs don't have a board seat. And even if they do, it's your job as a CEO to and your other board members as co-founders to manage the board, right? Mm-hmm. So it's really kind of an on, ongoing conversation between what your goals of the company are, what your vision is, and what you want to build with, you know, the expectations of the investors and and what they expect, right? It's your job to basically balance those two things. And if there's no path to connecting the two, then there's you got to drastically change your approach to what you're building or what you're doing. And I think that's what most people just kind of don't understand about this relationship between being a founder is with your investors. Um, but, you know, there are horror stories that happen. There are things where people, you know, don't, the like co-founders get pushed out because of disagreements and whatnot. But for the most part, you, when you're fundraising, I think it's important to, when you pitch to, to a lot of the VCs and the partners that you'll end up working with, is that I think a lot of the time your values and what you yes. really, what you really yes. care about kind of resonate with them as well. So naturally the investors that we had for HumbleDot were people who were really respectful. They were really smart. They served as mentors for us. They taught us a lot about, you know, a lot about running a startup, a lot about financial planning, product market fit, because they've seen they've seen it all, right? And we ended up learning a lot from them. And I think the the idea of these investors trying to steal your company and and being really greedy, I think, is just something that kind of just gets spread out through this bootstrapping world because. <laughs> There's either, I don't know, resentment so that like they maybe tried to fundraise before and they couldn't or it's it's this weird kind of like battle be- between like bootstrapping and the VC world. But I think that a lot of it is just really kind of misunderstood. So and, oh, go ahead. Go ahead, Miguel. I think there's one one thing I'd add, too, is that I think a lot of this misunderstanding is it's there's it, there can be a misalignment on whether the company is venture scalable. And so. To understand VC's perspective and incentives, you have to understand how that how they're uh, how they make money, right? How do VC funds work? And they basically work that they make a hundred investments, you know, ninety fail completely, ninety nine break even, and one makes a hundred x. One is Uber, right? One is a thousand x, and that one investment will make them all their money for that fund. And so, if you're breaking even, if you're just a good business, right? then that's actually not a success for them, right? Even if you're break even. And so I think a lot of people don't understand that, mm-hmm. right? Uh, that for a VC to have success, you need to be a venture scalable company, which means you need to grow, hyper grow. You need to 100X, right? 10X an uh, all time, or it needs to be a huge return. And, uh, you know, it's hard to build a regular business. It's hard to build a bootstrap business. It's hard to build, they're all hard equally. And I think people glamorize venture in a lot of ways, but building a, a bootstrap business is really freaking hard too. And there's no shame in that either. And so if you're not, if you have a great business idea, that's not venture scalable, that's okay. And, and building that non going down the non-venture route is, should be just as prestigious, I think, and, and should be just as respected. Um, so, but yeah, I think there's a lot of that, that sort of misalignment on what venture needs to be successful versus whether whether you want to see, you know what is a successful business because those are not exactly the same thing. Mm-hmm. So well put by both of you, uh, Will. You're a hundred percent right. Um, uh, you guys had an amazing experience with with uh, venture uh, capital, um, and 
aligned values, as you said. And it's true because I think that what you are to product engineering, um, they were to experience and knowing, you know, and able to help and lead by example. Like, oh, we know what helps, what works, you know, all these things. And, and so there's a lot of really great cases like that. I think, um, you know, maybe as uh, as the glorification of venture capital happened and even outside of your your normal uh, places where it was already consolidated and it started spreading to you know all over the country all over the world uh, you know so i'm in arizona and you you see a lot of like um people with a lot of real estate money <laughs> you know getting into venture capital you're like yeah yeah but real estate's a little bit different than tech you know <laughs> so <laughs> yes. so you you know returns are a little bit different but you're but will you're 100 percent right i i at least for me i think you're 100 percent right about it's just the line values and what are the background, what are the experience? There's some great stories or not so great stories. That's life. That's business. Miguel, you're a hundred percent right as well. Um, I think that a lot of times people think automatically, oh, I'm a success if I'm uh, a venture scalable uh, company or, or that um, if I get venture capital, that means I'm now successful. And you know, uh, I always say, well, no, you know, and, and I think Will and I maybe briefly talked when we first met, I just said, yeah, you know, um, customers are really where it's at, number one, you know, and if you can really establish that kind of footing first with them and get into like your groove first with them, then you can kind of see like what level of scalability are we really talking about? And you also brought up a good point that that doesn't necessarily make a successful business. I've, I've, I've asked people, I'm like, let me, I was like, you mean to tell me that if you were, you know, grossing three million a year, you have a team of five? and you're netting yeah. like 2.4 you would have a problem with that <laughs> you know they're yeah. like yeah. well maybe not i was like maybe not i was like yeah. you like you have a life and and you know and you know you can you have a life <laughs> you know all yeah. these things so i i I, yeah. I like that you brought up that point especially for anybody listening because i i, I don't want people to feel like they have to have that 100 million that 200 million that billion dollar unicorn to uh you know, validate that they're good at business. It could just be like, hey, well, what kind of life do you really want to? Because, you know, sometimes when you're scaling, you also have 50, 100, 200 employees. Do you want to? <laughs> yeah. So. Totally. Right. I, and I think like the going down that hyper growth venture scalable route, it is so, it, it's, it's, it's so time consuming, right? It's, it really does require all of your energy. Uh, and you have to be willing to really make sacrifices for, for those to be successful. Um, and yeah, it's, it's just, there's, there's, I think there's no way around that. Yeah. I think Reed Hoffman calls VC, like he makes the analogy of jumping off a cliff and trying to build yeah. an airplane <laughs> right, and right. making that airplane fly before you hit the ground. Right. And I think it's very true. It's, it's so true. It's a, it's a lifestyle that you really have to prioritize work over almost anything, at least in the early stages. I think if you've gotten to the point where maybe you've raised your Series A and Series B and you can hire a lot of executives to take most of the workloads off, to you, off of you, I think it becomes a little bit different because at that point, it, you're, you're essentially like an institution and you're running the institution. But in the early stages, you, you got to do everything as a founder. You have to build the product. You have to talk to customers. You have to do customer support. You have to do marketing. You have to do sales if you're, if you're a B2B SaaS company. And it's, it's tough. Yeah, it's super tough. Well, and I think that's what, what we enjoy about doing Rise, you know, self-funded. 
because we actually both like prioritizing, you know, our personal lives a lot and having a pretty good work-life balance. And I think the way we work now, we've hit a pretty good balance between making rise work and putting the work into it to make it successful, but also not slaving over it and feeling like it's, it's this thing that we have to put all of our time and energy into. I feel like you're leading by perfect example of the very essence of what this app, of what Rise provides for people because that was it for me too. It was like, well, what am I doing with my time? Because I want to have a better relationship with it, not because I want to be all about work at all. Yeah. You know, and I would like to think with the growing changes globally, and with people starting to ask themselves more about what they're doing with their lives as in, in totality and not just, you know, business and let me be, you know, everything. And, you know, they're, yeah. they're starting to they're starting to question, you know, how they can prioritize more time for other things. And so you, mm-hmm. you guys, their timing is impeccable. It's, <laughs> so. it's actually kind of funny when when we first started building Rise, I think I was averaging 10 to 12 hour days working on the product. And then now I think I average anywhere between six and seven mm-hmm. hours a day. So it's, it certainly helps. Like it certainly changed the way I think about how I work and how where my time goes and it's mm-hmm. made my life much better. So it's, it's been kind of cool to see something that we built change my own behaviors, you know, and I think it's doing that for a lot of people, which is really, really great to hear, really great to see in here. It's incredible. And then you, um, by the way, you also brought up a really good point about the um, interesting when you're building a startup or building anything. Um, on one hand, you guys are doing everything. And then the next funny stage of that is um, how you're building on um like focusing on yourself to remove yourself from certain things at times. So it's a very interesting iterative process of like, I usually do these things, but now I have to solve for me as well in the process. Like you were mentioned, like, well, sometimes if you get like venture funds or maybe just get more revenue into the company and then you're going to hire executives to do certain things for you. And it's a funny thing to solve for like, okay, so if um, I'm a, I don't want to say we're a problem, but it's like if I'm in this situation, this situation, this situation, how do I remove myself from doing that to make the the bus go faster, make the train go faster, you know, without me doing it? And that's obviously the working on the business. But it's an interesting thing to first do it all and then solve for not doing it all. <laughs> you know what I mean? And, yep. you know, you guys are clearly I mean, well, with a productivity app, I would, <laughs> I would think that you guys figure that out even faster. Um, what's next for you guys? Like, what do you guys have coming up or anything exciting that's just happening or, you know, in general that you guys want to share? Yeah, I think for the next, pretty much to the end of the year is mm-hmm. just continue to focus on the customer. Perfect. Perfect. Listen to what they do, what they want, how they use the products, the uses, the use cases they want to solve. I think that's pretty much what we're going to be focusing on for the rest of the year. And on the product side, on the marketing side, we want to really start diving into how people really find out about Rise and what's the best way to reach reach them. I think with our brand and the way people like talking about Rise, we really want to leverage sharing your stats and stuff like on social media. If you like, oh, I had a really awesome day, you could like post it and just like export it from your dashboard or something. I would love that. Yeah, and then the other the other would be um, you know just keep working on a referral system 
we're thinking about maybe introducing some type of affiliate program where if you're a creator or someone who is really passionate in this space and has a pretty big audience, we can maybe give you like a cut of the, the number of paying customers that sign up from your referral link or something like that. So we're, we're, we kind of got these things in the, in the pipeline, but again, it's just pretty much been doing the same, what we've been doing before is just focusing on our marketing focusing on growth or growth channels and uh, listening to our customers and build what they really want. Miguel. <laughs> I was going to say, yeah, we should probably talk to you uh, uh, about that uh, affiliate marketing program if you're interested. Yeah, um, absolutely. But no, yeah, I think uh, that's really, that's really, yeah. it's yeah, pretty simple. Um, just like keep doubling down. And I think, yeah, keep, I think one of the things we're also, we've been trying a lot on the growth side, mm -hmm. um, testing a lot of things like ads and content, SEO. And I think one of the things that, again, like we're coming back to is that the, you know, even though I think some people, sometimes you want to think of product and marketing as almost separate, right? But they're really one. It's like they're intertwined, they're brand. And so like, I think one of the things we realized is that the marketing channels and the growth channels that are working for us are the ones that naturally align with our brand from uh, which, you know, from our, from our product, from our type of customer. Um, and so like, we're, we're also going to be exploring doing some sort of more like high quality content uh, mm -hmm. and like, focus guides to help people, you know, get more focused and understand how to be more productive. Cause we found that type of content really yeah. resonates with our brand and our, and our end users who are people who tend to be really thoughtful about how they spend their time and their productivity. Um, so just like, I think that's another area we'll be thinking about. No, incredible. That that's why exactly it. Um, why I was saying, yeah, a lot of my audience, they, they would feel you on all of that. They, cause a lot of the things that I, I like to talk about in content wise is this kind of like blend of, you know, um, the disciplines that we have for our life in, you know, um, giving ourselves the right, like focus on nutrition and health and our finances and all this other stuff. But then also like, let's talk about business. Let's talk about, you know, um, uh, productivity. Let's talk about like the things that let's have open dialogue on the things that get in our way um, and mess with our heads along the way so we can have better mental wellness and all these different aspects productivity is just a huge one. So you're right. When you do that, that high level content that helps them, they're like, Oh, you know, I, people I, like all the time, what books do you read? You know, uh, you know, what do you recommend for, you know, I recommend an atomic habits for like a good full year. <laughs> like, yeah. and, they, and they all just start sending you the, uh, the photos like, yep, I'm reading my copy. And I was like, yeah. James, buddy, you owe me. <laughs> like, cause it's, you know, yeah. but it's because like, um, you're right. The meaning, the point of, when product and marketing come together, it's because like, look, I'm, I, I'd rather build in public and show you what I'm doing for myself and share the journey. And if it helps you, I hope it helps you because I'm trying to figure it out as well too. And then, you know, it's funny because people always get, especially as your audience grows, they all think that like, you've got it all together all the time. I'm like, I don't, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'm working on it. And then I'm giving you the tools as I'm working on it and yeah. product marketing coming together. Hey, I'm the product in this case. I'm trying to figure it out and do these cool things. And here's what I'm learning. Here you go. This might work very Seth Godin, but it's like, this might work. Try this. You yeah. Know? So yeah. Incredible. Uh, well, I, you guys are doing an awesome job. Um, I can't believe it. Wow. We're on an hour and 15 minutes. That happens. Yeah. Uh, I told you <laughs> that could happen. Um, 
amazing. Where can everybody find you guys online so they can get in touch with you, uh, whether it's social or your guys' emails or the main email or, you know, wherever it is that you want to, you know, let everybody know, like, the best way to, to you know, get in touch? Yeah, so I think the the best way would be for Rise would just be to go on our website. And then if, if you have any questions or anything, there's info at rise.io. There's will at rise.io and McGill at rise.io. It's very, very simple. You can reach us <laughs> yeah. through our emails. Um, but you can also follow us on Twitter too. Like we're, we're pretty active on Twitter. Um, our Rise account's on Twitter as well. So my, my handle is W-R-G-O-T-O. And uh, McGill, do you want to yeah. plug in your handle? Yeah, mine is uh, MacGill, M-A-C-G-I-L-L, B uh, Davis, D-A-V-I-S. So it's just, just my name. Um, and then the rise handle is rise underscore I O R I Z E. Nice. Amazing. Yeah. Um, uh, and everybody that's listening, um, if you do ask any questions, even if it's, you know, rise at, at rise, uh, who's answering the chat? Is it will that's on the chat? Uh, usually it's, it's, chat. it's all McGill. Oh, it's all McGill. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Is that who's on there? Is that uh, who, who did I, yeah. I'm wondering who did I first speak to? Oh, maybe it was McGill. You're right. That was in the, in the, uh, in the in app. The yeah. yeah, and then it was Will with through the email. I was like, "Yeah, I would love to talk to you guys about that because I got the automated email yeah. after I signed up." Yeah. Nice, yeah. nice. Yeah, you were helping me on like a Saturday, man. <laughs> Just, <laughs> yeah. So uh, yeah, that's uh, that's try, inc- try. <laughs> that's incredible. That's that's right. I remember that. I'm like, how do I do this? And you're like, I'll move this over here. And and then you know that's cool that you guys created a uh, you know a Slack channel as well for communicating with other customers. You know, I know uh, Will. I mentioned Discord. <laughs> but, yeah, we wanted we want to look into Discord. Slack feels kind of like a more kind of enterprisey, but Discord is more yeah. of like a consumer like channel. But yeah, I we're still like uh, figuring that out. Yeah, for sure. no, incredible. Um, you know, and I always say this is a journey driven podcast. So you guys are welcome back on any time. If you you know you want to come back on a few months, six months, you know, and just talk about the progress and say, hey, you know, here's what's happening in real time. It's been fascinating watching customers or you know, gaining traction and, and here's even more things that we're learning about in, you know, productivity and time tracking and focus and where people are getting tripped up, any number of thing, any, whichever direction you guys want to go in, you know, I think it'd be great to have you guys back on, but I always, I always welcome my guests back on cause uh, it's ongoing. The journey is ongoing. So thank you guys so much for being here. Yeah. Thanks for inviting us, Matt. Absolutely. Yeah. For, thank you. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, really for, for, appreciate it. A hundred percent. You guys are, are crushing it. I, I love it. And I know it's still probably very early on, but you have my 100% support, um, you know, and, and so everybody listening, please rise, R-I-Z-E dot I-O. Um, just do yourself a favor. <laughs> That's all I have to tell you guys. Like you guys know how I feel about time. I mean, it's like in my stories on Instagram, like every single day. So rise, R-I-Z-E dot I-O. Um, and you can reach out, uh, to McGill or will on the, um, uh, at the website. And if you have any questions, they're very good at getting back to you. They're very good at getting on the phone with you, um, and showing you how the app works. It's very, very simple, but you know, they'll, they'll, they'll help in any way, shape or form that, you know, serves, you know, your, your best interest. So thank you guys so much for being on the show. Um, you know, for McGill Davis, for Will Goto, uh, and their company Rise, for myself, Matt Gottesman, and the Hustle Sold Separately, we are out. <laughs>